Hello. Just, there's a process. Hold on a second. Gosh, it feels like it was just yesterday I was up here, but it was actually on the other side of the Amazon. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm back too. (laughs) Okay. How is everybody? Very good. Today, I just want to, um, I want to share a revelation that I received. Um, I would like to say that it was purely connected or isolated to the trip, but it actually isn't. It's something, you know what? We tend to compartmentalize our worlds. The Lord doesn't do that because that's part of disassociation, right? So I want to share with you um, what I believe to be a very fitting word for the season that we're in, right? All the seasons are connected. And it's going to, as always, uh, you know, I always bring my dirty laundry. You know what? Do you guys ever feel like, no, you know what? I'm not going to ask a question. Okay. The worship really undid me. So I have to put all my filters back in now because my heart's kind of like all over the place. All right. Now, in case, let me just bring you guys up to bring you up to speed. Uh, but I think about two weeks ago, Todd and I got back from a two-week trip. We were invited over to the Amazon by Anna Mendez. Um, it was a collection of 29 prophets from around the world, and it was all connected to, you know what? People still ask me what we did over there, and I don't really have an answer because half the time I was trying to work out what was going on myself. Um, but everything I did, I did in faith, and the overall idea was connected to creation. So, you know, ministering to, redeeming creation, connecting to, you know, there were a lot of words that I realized were in a book that I haven't read yet. So I just, I literally kept my mouth shut for most of the trip and I did a lot of listening and observing. So, but I, I was able to contribute something. Um, and leading up to the trip, we would do weekly or fortnightly Zooms, like mapping Zooms. When I say mapping, spiritual mapping, do you guys know what I mean by that? Yes. Okay, good. Um, so we would do weekly or fortnightly Zooms and, you know, people were getting things connected to the jungle or animals or, you know, four living creatures. And I was getting nothing like that. Over and over and over again, I just kept getting coordinates on Sarah and the desert. Now, you guys know that I've been preaching a lot around the fear of the Lord and I've been using Abraham, Sarah and Hagar as a lot of those examples. But what's one thing got to do with another? As Todd always says, everything. It's all connected. Because when it was my turn to talk at one of the mapping Zooms, I literally said, I said, I don't have anything jungle-related. I'm sorry. All I have, is that, David, is that you? Oh, hi. (laughs) It's my brother. Okay, anyway. (laughs) Um, um, I, what was I saying? Oh, my contribution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when it was my, when it was my turn to speak, um, you know, I said, I said, I literally have nothing on the desert. Or, sorry, on the desert. I have nothing on the jungle. I've actually, I don't know whether my spirit's stuck on the other side of the planet, but I'm over in the Sahara. I just keep getting stuff related to Sarah and the desert. And it turns out that it was very well connected because it was all created to, you know, restoring the feminine component of sonship. And Sarah played a massive role in that, her shortcomings and also what she represented. And the, the main part of the word, the prophetic word that I brought to the multiple round tables that we had every day there, um, the main word that I brought was that Sarah's internal struggle kept her in a place of barrenness. That was the, that was the, the, the main, the, the crux of the word that I brought. What I didn't realize was that it was also for me. So... God's been speaking to me for a long time about Sarah. And, you know, if, you're, if, if you consider yourself to be a prophetic person and you're having a lot of encounters and you believe you're a prophet to the house or a prophet to the nation or a prophet to the city, those words are also for you. That's just how it works. And, and I have learned that a lot of my healing journey has come from applying my words to myself first. But this one I missed. This one I totally missed. And it wasn't until a recent conversation with Todd where he's like, that, that prophetic word you brought, which is actually written now in the, the book of the Amazon, because that's actually for you too. So a part of this is going to be me sharing a little bit about, about my story, because again, I don't know how else to do it any other way. And in that song, in that last song of worship, um, it was like 
I, I wasn't intending to, but it was like every bit of my framework just came undone. So I literally, I'm so worried about what's going to come out of my, maybe you should sit here. <laughs> Where I, I won't tell that story, don't worry. <laughs> so I, I really, so what my word today is not just about Sarah staying in a place of barrenness. I want to share with you the revelation that that un, unpacked and has probably been one of the biggest or most pivotal points in my understanding of that and in my world on that. And it's actually connected to our, our, the way that we survive, survival. So your internal world is programmed to preserve you, okay? So... If I had to title today's word, it would be laying down the fight. Because my mode of survival was fight. Yours might be flight. There's a couple more. Freeze and... Fawn. I thought so, but isn't that a plant? Or a deer, baby deer? Is that a fawn? Right, okay. Okay. If you are one of the Fs... This word is for you. Okay. I'm sure we're all one of those things. And um, so what my word is around is, you know, it's called laying down the fight. And it's around our, our survival, um, you know, uh, instincts. But it's also about how to return to innocence. Because that's the design. That's actually what this whole thing is about. That was one of the main themes about going to the Amazon. It was about returning to, to innocence. Because returning to innocence is actually returning to Eden. So that's what my word's about, okay? Now, I want to tell you that I got tested on my word yesterday. So I'm going to warn you now that it's not actually easy, right? So I actually got tested on my own word, but it, it didn't take me, it took me a few minutes to recognize it, but once I was able to recognize it, I actually, it took everything in me. I was going to say that. It took everything in me to honor the instruction that I'm going to share with you today. So, yes, all right. Now, I'm going to, let's start the conversation of innocence. Now, because we all would have a very different definition of innocence. Well, we shouldn't, but anyway. Um, a definition is a lack of guile, right? A lack of guile or corruption. Now, for those of you who don't know, don't know what guile means, guile means to be sly or have cunning intelligence. And if you want to know what cunning means, it means having a skill in achieving one's end by deceit or evasion. And that's not just in survival mode. So we see here that innocence isn't limited to your uh, lack of direct participation in sin, your lack of involvement in, in something that the Lord would, would condemn. Innocence is actually what scrutinizes your coping and survival mechanisms. I'll say that again. Do you want me to say that again? All right. <laughs> All right. So... Innocence isn't limited to our direct involvement in sin. It's, it also scrutinizes our coping mechanisms and our survival tactics because innocence is the lack of guile. And guile is to, be, is to have sly intelligence and to be cunning, right? And those things mean, as I read out before, they mean to having, having a skill to achieve an end by evasion or a deceitful manner. That's, in other words, that's, that's surviving, right? So in order to be considered innocent, you'd have to lack a particular type of intel that both preempts and presumes whatever action or defense is needed, necessary to achieve an outcome or to stay safe. So it's doing things in your own ways, in your own understanding. So we spend a lot of our time preempting something. That's what anxiety is. We spend a lot of time thinking about the future. That's why we can't be present in the now. So to, to be truly, to, to, to really live a lifestyle of innocence, that's not, I'm not talking about your direct involvement in sin. I'm talking about remaining in a state that is so abandoned in his ways that we actually don't need to act 
activate our survival instincts. Does that make sense? Yep. Oh, good. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. So it's just a fancy way of saying that outside of his truth is deception and sin. All right. Now, that's how Adam and Eve were judged. They, in an instant, I'm not going to, I know I've gone, I have spent a lot in the last 12 months in Genesis. I, understand, I know that, but that's because there's a lot to learn there. But in an instant, when they, when, when, when the, the surely die, in an instant, they inherited masses of information, invisible information that they couldn't even articulate. It was like the veil was torn and all of a sudden they were exposed to all sorts of things that, I mean, at best might, they might have described as torment, confusion, emotion. In an instant, that's what they inherited. It's like if you go up to a five-year-old child and dump all of your adult, you know, marital problems and you, 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 you talk about things that they don't have, that they've got no understanding of the actual realities or the concepts, but the crushing weight of those concepts they can now feel. It's the same thing. So that's how they were judged. That, that's the judgment they brought on themselves. And they weren't resourced for that. So they went into survival. Instantly, they went into emotional survival because now they're having to navigate everything that they can feel but can't quite articulate or they even know what that is because they wouldn't have had torment before that. They wouldn't have had confusion before that. So they went into emotional survival. They went into physical survival, right? And they would have gone into spiritual survival as well. <clears throat> and... I want to, can, can we put up Genesis 3, 7, please? Thank you. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, that's Adam and Eve, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. It's like, my post-it notes are everywhere. Made themselves coverings. Okay, so we know there that um, the word eyes is not just talking about their physical eye, because the word in the original Hebrew also means knowledge, regard, or countenance. So... We often think about the tree of knowledge as just being information, but it also tears the veil to things that affect your countenance. So you have to also associate that with emotions, things like substance of confusion and torment and all of those things. I'm really trying to make a point here, okay? And we know there that, um, well, if you don't know, I'll tell you now. The word naked, the root word of the word naked means to be cunning, to take crafty counsel, um, and to be prudent. Now, that sounds, I thought, oh, prudent's a good word. Looked it up, it is a good word, but it means to be marked by wisdom and judiciousness. They didn't have the capacity. They didn't carry the full counsel, right? So in an instant, they were doing it outside the gate of the Lord, and they bore the weight of it. So Eve... Like Todd mentioned innocence this morning, he said that animals are actually innocent, but they can be corrupted. The elementals are innocent, but they can be corrupted. And can you put up, I just want to share, this is like a side thing, but can you put up Acts 2.20? Um, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. The word turned there means to be corrupted. So elementals, creation, animals, all of those things can be corrupted. Eve was corrupted on that day, just like the elementals. Okay? All right. Um, next. Now, like, like I said, I don't want to spend too much time unpacking Genesis. Um, I think we, we get the... But the, the main point I want to make here is that they no longer could differentiate or make a distinction between purpose and original design, which is our problem today. Purpose and original design are two different things. This is my opinion. This is what the Lord said to me. That purpose and original, and original design are two different things. This is why. Purpose is what you'll always be on the earth. It's who you are, even if you use it to serve, you know, darkness. Original design is doing it his way. Okay? 
So original design, another way of looking at it is original design is the knowledge of him. You have people living out their purposes on the earth, bearing fruit, but they're perishing. And we know that in Hosea 4, 6, it says people perish because of lack of knowledge and it's talking about knowledge of him. So I want to go back to the crux of what I'm really talking about because I, I understand that I'm bringing a little bit of a fruit salad, but I'm going to keep doing my best to bring it back to the center of what I'm talking about, and that is centered around innocence. Now, like I said earlier, we all would have very different, um, different definitions of innocence, uh, but to me, innocence is something that we lose at a very, very, very early age when, when we're exposed to knowledge that we don't understand. That's my opinion. Okay. And, you know, I think that for... I think a lot of people, whether across the board or wherever, you know, we, we have this very narrow-mindedness. We have this limited understanding that innocence is the difference between being good or being associated with, with labels of sin. That is, that is just tier one. That's just basics. Actually, that would be if your focus or your goal is to get into heaven. There you go. That was a sign. That was a sign. <laughs> so I'll say that again. So staying out of trouble and being good doesn't mean you're innocent. That is tier one. That's just basic level. That's elementary. If your goal is to get into heaven, right, then you'll need to remain innocent at that level. I'm talking about the stuff that, you know, because you know what, we don't, it's not what we're actually professing. You don't walk around talking about, oh, I really hope I get into heaven. When I get into heaven, sorry, when I die, I'm going to use the keys of David to unlock the pearly gates. You don't talk like that. You talk about the keys of David now. You talk about you know, you, you, you talk about manifesting things now. You don't, you don't, getting into heaven isn't your internal or external dialogue unless you're in extreme hopelessness. And I've said this a hundred million times, but your internal, actually, that's an exaggeration. I've been, I'm not, I'm not allowed to exaggerate anymore. I've said this many, many, many times. Your internal and external dialogue reveal your value systems, okay? All right. Now, when I got to this part, the Lord wanted me to just quickly talk about craving. The reason why he, now I'm not talking about food, I'm talking about what our hearts crave, which is what I believe happened to me in worship. I, I felt my heart almost deconstruct against my will and it was, and it's like he said to me, this is what you want. This is, this is your design, this, your design is our, our very, we feel fulfilled when we come into, um, we come into scroll because deep down that is what our desire is and that's, that's worship, right? Um, so wh why, is, why is this part of the conversation important if we're talking about innocence? Because, you know, especially now, like Todd, Todd had no idea what I was talking about this afternoon, but Todd was talking, I mean, he's been talking um, in, in the last couple of weeks about, the, you know, the invisible world and the visible world and how to bring the two together, how to manifest things, okay? Um, and one of the key ways of doing that is aligning. Romans 10.10, if you believe something in your heart and then you say it with your mouth, it'll come to pass. First, the heart has to be convinced. First, the heart has to believe unto righteousness and then the mouth confesses. Now, that particular scripture is talking about salvation, but you can, you can fill the blanks with whatever you, whatever you want. Attach your healing to it. Attach your finances to it. Attach whatever you want to it. It's the same principles. So this is, um, so again, the overarching thing of today is we're talking about the return to innocence. We've moved past the elementary church idea of sin, bad, obedience, good. That's base level. That's assumed knowledge there. We're talking about how innocence, act, the lack of innocence activates and keeps and continually generates this survival instinct that we have that separates us from the Lord. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, so going back to craving. As long as something is a crave in your world, it puts it out here and it preaches that gap to you. 
okay? Now, the word for crave in the New Testament would be fervent. So can you put up that one Peter scripture? Yep. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Now, the word fervent there means without ceasing or, you know, to be um, intently. But the root word of that is actually a proactive word. It actually requires something of us. It actually means to extend, to stretch forth. It requires a level of partnership. Whereas when you're craving something, it can feel like torture. And as long as craving remains a feeling or a felt need, it will be torment. But the Lord, the way that he sees craving, it should spur us into a course of action to, to engage. It demands an action on our part. I thought that was really good. Okay. All right. It's, it's a proactive thing. I don't like the feeling of craving. I don't like what it preaches to me. So knowing that it's actually designed to carry a verdict and fulfill its purpose, if I engage it, that's the Lord's design around that word. That's actually very encouraging. So as long as it remains a feeling, it preaches lack to us and lack preaches, you know, actually lack will preach the, and reinforce the need to survive. That's what lack does. Now, in my opinion, that scripture that we just read in 1 Peter is advanced. Because that's talking about having fervent love for one another. I think that most of us need to just focus on that with the Lord first. To, to carve out and plow and have that, that relationship with him that we understand that he already covers a multitude of sin. He is love. Now, that's a direct parallel to the fig leaves. When they fell and they, come and they came under the crushing weight of the tree of knowledge, the first thing that they did was they hid from him and they covered themselves. But here we're told that love covers us. Had their, the opposite of survival, they went into survival, the opposite of survival would have been to run into his arms and said, look what we have done. If we really lay a hold of this, and I'm speaking to myself, this is, I told you I've been tested. If we really lay a hold of this, we would really need to go into survival. Because it would, his love would automatically silence the accusations that trigger those things, whether perception or, or real. Now, I want to go back to Sarah quickly. I've spoken about Sarah a lot. We know that her value system was built on fear, okay, because we know that she blamed the Lord for her barrenness, even though that's not scriptural at all, like there's nothing to back that. And we know that her struggle caused her to make some really stupid decisions, and it caused her to resist the promise, because when the Lord visited her house and he spoke, he spoke the secrets of her heart openly, it says that because she had fear in her heart that she rejected it. She resisted. She devalued, or she, she reduced the Lord's values to fit her small heart. Now, the opposite of survival is to enlarge your heart. Because when you enlarge your heart to take territory, whether you want to take territory spiritually or whatever, whatever it is in your world, that we know that from, um, I don't know what the scripture reference is, but it talks about enlarging the place of your tent, enlarging your tent pegs. It actually describes a process of it's going to cost you something and spare not. The word spare not there means don't avoid an uncomfortable and unpleasant process. You can't be in a state of survival and enlarge your heart at the same time. Now, it'll feel like that. If you, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm going to clarify a few things because I can already, yeah, all right, just one second. Okay. All right. You know, going back to Sarah again, her internal struggle kept her barren. Now, I'm not going to call this creative a license because from what I understand of the inner world and structures and stuff like that, 
she already devalued herself to a degree. And that was way before Hagar. She went along with a plan to pretend to be Abraham's sister twice. So really, as a married woman, I look at that and I go, she was ready to prostitute herself twice. Now, it's easy to blame him for that decision, but there's two people to a marriage. So that looks like something in someone's world. And it's easy to pick on people in the Bible because their, their worlds are laid bare for us and, you know, they're not, they're not given the opportunity to share um, their side of the story. But we know that when we're in... The reason why I'm using Sarah is that she was in a state of survival for a very long time, which caused her to make so, uh, so many stupid decisions. And it, it, she, she weaved a hectic web by the end of it. And it affected her bloodline. For generations. So she fulfilled her purpose on the earth, but not in her original design. Okay. Now, how does this tie into the whole innocence thing? I'm gonna, I've created a type of flowchart for you. Now, when I say flowchart, I'm just going to rattle off a list of things that I've come up with that puts all of this together, and then I'm going to unpack some of the things that I've said a little bit more. So if you're lost, this is the flowchart. At a very early age, we lose our innocence. And that can just be being exposed to information that you're not resourced to navigate. And that causes us to lose our ability to differentiate between childlikeness and disassociation. We're exposed to concepts and realities that we, we don't understand, we don't make sense of. And we can't make sense of, and that causes us to, to create and build core beliefs usually built on lies, those core beliefs become our realities and our truths. We live a Christian life and we believe in a God and read a Bible that, um, you know, that talk about innocence and guilt, but most of the church stops there. And then we remain, in, 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 we, we, we do our walk of faith trying to survive being on the innocent side. So what we're actually doing is we're measuring ourselves against a ripped-off version of the Bible. That's what we're doing. And Todd's been talking about the invisible world into the visible, like landing. How do you bring that? How do you manifest? And really, that's the deepest cry of our hearts is manifesting our promises, right? So we're measuring, um, yeah, we're, we're measuring ourselves against a ripped-off version of the Bible. That measuring gauge is actually lifeless, and it's diluted, and it produces results that are the same. The reason why I ended up in a place like FOD was because I was so broken as a, being raised in a Pentecostal Christian home. And you, uh, you've heard my testimony. I've been, I encountered the Lord in my bedroom like there was no veil, and it, but it wasn't enough. By the time... I walked through Fod's doors. I told you I was agreeing with John Lennon and that maybe Christianity was a massive phase. That's survival. Okay? So this measuring gauge, this, this false or ripped-off version of the word, especially around innocence and our understanding of innocence, produces results that are the same, lifeless. And those outcomes cause our hearts to, or hope, Deferred makes the heart grow sick. And it also produces a crazy religious leaven that keeps us in a place where we justify our lifestyles. I'll say that again. Our understanding or limited understanding of what innocence is in the Lord's eyes can produce a crazy religious leaven that keeps us in a place where we justify our lifestyles. They become our narratives. As long as you're being good and you're doing good, that's not what the word says. Again, only if your goal is to get into heaven. Now, are we innocent? Yes. But unto what? This is kind of like where we get to the, to the pointy end of the stick. Are we innocent? Yes, but unto what? Unto accusation of gross sin? Well, yes, of course. The, the, the cross, we, we know that. Okay? 
but is it like we're doing the Lord a favour? Is our innocence unto the same way that I, I preached about obedience? Is it a tick box reality for us? The return to innocence is about, you know, the return to Eden, in my opinion. And the return to Eden is about the return to original design for both man and creation. Survival mode raises itself against the knowledge of God. And it's part of our inherent human nature. And our human nature, we know, the word says, is, en- is at enmity with God. Enmity is rebellion. Rebellion is the opposite of the fear of the Lord. Okay, so you can't get away from the fear of the Lord. It's everywhere. All right, so now I'm going to quickly unpack survival. Is everybody okay? okay. Maybe I will tell a story. <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. <laughs> All right, let's look at survival really quickly. Now, I'm not saying survival was bad. Um, disassociation is a God-given coping mechanism. Okay? Survival is meant to be a response, so it's a God-given response to help you get out of trouble. And we're all wired differently. Some of you are flight, some of you are fight, some of you are freeze or baby deers. (laughs) Fawn, (laughs) right? Now, that's not bad, but if it becomes your lifestyle, if it becomes a station if it raises itself against what it looks like to mature as a son, then that's not good. That's what I'm talking about, all right? So what I'm talking about is the ability to capitalize on a concept that helps us materialize, manifest the things that we're wanting the most. Okay, you know, I, I say this privately. I have said this privately multiple times, so I'm going to say it publicly. In this house specifically, we hear a lot about supernatural things, crazy testimonies of, you know, just manifesting. You know, we know what, what, what Todd's carved out faith-wise, and every time, this is, this is the part that I've said privately a lot, every time Todd preaches, all I want to do is just go home and go be with the Father. That's how I feel. And, but I can't. I have to sit here and I have to wait. And by the, anyway, filters, okay, all right. Um, so, so that doesn't mean that I manifest everything that I, that I bring before the Lord. Some things are a journey. And that frustration, if you're like me and you feel that frustration, because when Todd talks about it, you know that it's true because you can feel it. It's not a house of cards. He didn't ask me to say any of this. This is coming, this is my own personal opinion and testimony, right? Okay. But because I have sat under that teaching ever from, you know, the minute we walked in and I've, you know, every time I have, the tools work, they're real, okay? But that frustration where on, in the areas that I haven't been able to do it, that's actually a good thing. So if you're like me and you feel that frustration, that's actually a substance that is supposed to spur you into a course of action. That's what that's designed to do. Now I've lost where I'm at. All right. Okay. And the purpose of that is that we might testify the same. Okay. Now, now how do you do that? Now we get given loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of tools here on how to manifest the promises of God. Multiple, you know, but I'm going to bring the the one small angle that the Lord's given me to bring today, and that is you can do that by returning to innocence. Again, not attaching innocence to just a label of sin. We're talking about to our ways, our understanding. You know, um, against his. Now, again, assuming that we have the basics sorted out, the next thing that we would need to do is identify what your mode of survival is. Okay? Because that instinct is what keeps you partaking of the tree of knowledge. Okay? Now, 
the danger is it becomes your plumb line. As I said before, if it becomes a lifestyle, it becomes your station, it becomes your plumb line. Just want to make sure that I haven't gone ahead of myself. Okay. You know, how does it become your plumb line? Because when you survive something, you create a formula out of it. And then you spend the rest of your life picking the same fights because you know how to do it. Okay. How do I know? <laughs> so identifying what your survival mode is. For me, it's fight. I've already said that a few times. And I learned a lot about that um, and, or about myself in general, actually, in the Amazon. So in landing, this is going to be a bit of a landing now, people have asked me, the most common question I've been asked since getting back um, has been, you know, what was the most memorable, memorable part of the trip? Well, it depends what you define as memorable. Well let, well, let me explain. Because I feel like an idiot when people ask me and I don't have words to say because I'm still unpacking what happened on the trip. I, I still, still, there are things that I've been exposed to I don't have language for. But memorable, or well, let's see, there was the time there, okay, the minute, I wanted to come home as soon as we landed in Chile. Chile was the last um, stopover before coming, arriving into Lima. I remember getting off the plane, that was the, the long um, leg. I got off the plane and I just looked at Todd, I said, I'm done now. I, I want to go home now. Todd's like, Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, and I, had, I, I didn't know why. So I had gone into fight before I had even landed in Peru. I was like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm going to go home now. I was the only person who stepped in dog poo when we arrived at the river. Now, I don't know what's wrong with their dogs over there, but the smell was so bad. I didn't know. I'm walking around with this hectic dog poo on the bottom of my shoe. Now, everywhere Todd went, I went. That was part of my survival mode. I was like, I'm going to follow the tower everywhere and I'll be okay. And we were waiting for the boats to a little, the little, like, duck, 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 boats to come and get us. And, you know, I'm following Todd everywhere and Todd's like, what is that smell? And I'm like, I don't know. And then I followed Todd over here. And then he's like, Are they, have they fertilised the riverbank? And I'm like, I don't know. And I'm following him everywhere, literally. He took a step. I took a step. It was like Naomi and Ruth. Your God will be my God. Where you go, I will go. <laughs> and it wasn't until we were on the boat, I put my handbag next to, like on the ground, because I wanted to take photos. I'm now on the river making, we're now making our, you know, our river ride deep into the jungle to the first, you know, um, accommodation. And Todd's going, they carry the fertilizer on the boat. And I'm like, oh, hey. I pick up my bag and there's this brown, green stuff all over it. And I smell it and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's dog poo. And then the first thing I did was I gave it to Todd. <laughs> did he tell you that? I was like, ah, and I gave it to Todd. The, the people that ran the, 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 the tour and the, that were responsible for picking it, they were so lovely. I wouldn't touch my shoes. They undid my laces for me. They took my shoes off for me. They took, when we got back to the, to when, we, when, we, when we got to the, arrived at the treehouse lodge, my shoes came back two hours later, scrubbed clean. It was beautiful, but, but it still smelled. All right? Anyway, um, what else happened over there? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I triggered off my face. See, okay, what I want to say is this. The reason why I'm telling you all of this, this is not a filler, by the way. This, I have a lot of information. I don't need fillers. What I want to say to you is, part of this is that I realized when I was in the Amazon, I realized that I lived in a state of fight. That's why I'm telling you this, right? And you don't know unless you know, or you don't know until you find out. So 
Anyway, so by the time, like, you know, I've, I'm now, you know, in somebody else's shoes because they've taken my shoes away. And by the time I arrived at the Treehouse Lodge, which is, that's where the photos that Todd showed you with the tarantulas were in his room and stuff like that, deep in the jungle. By the time I got off the boat, I was triggered off my face. Like, I'm telling you, I was shaking because something had triggered me. It wasn't like I had a psychotic moment. Something triggered me. I was so, I'd never been this angry in my life. Like I, like I actually could feel my inside shaking. And now I, and I had to put on a happy face because we arrived and all the polite Peruvians that are walking us into the, the treehouse lodge and whatever. And, and I now like, I, I, I cannot hide it. I'm like this. And um, you want to know how I, you want to know what happened to me after that? Anna grabbed me in a headlock and noogied me out of a region. Literally grabbed me in a headlock because she came up to me and I said, I'm so angry. She said, I release you from your anger. It's like, I don't want to be released. I want to be angry. She grabs me in a headlock and she's rocking me back and forth and she's literally rubbing my head going, nothing bad, nothing bad, nothing bad. And, this, and I'm looking at Todd going, is she for real? <laughs> I'm like, but after a couple of minutes, I was like, nothing bad, nothing bad. I came good. She literally headlocked and noogied me out of a region. I, you know what? I think she saw me as a liability to the rest of the trip and she had to do what she had to do. Now, this was the first five minutes of being in the jungle. Just, just letting you know that. The first five minutes. All right. What else? We couldn't flush our toilet paper. You guys know that. I was the only person that got caught by a plant that attacked me twice, that I had to get cut free by a machete. Me. I was the only person out of 29 people. Yep. All right. Anyway, so there were lots of memorable moments in the Amazon. But apart from that, apart from connecting with creation and everything, it was all about the return to innocence. And what became evident very quickly was that my inner world started to shake. Whatever part of me was still built and functioned on survival came under pressure because that's not the rock. And my inner world started to shake. A lot. (sighs) Yeah. There's so many things I could tell you, but I don't want to go over time. Um, I I think one of, to be completely honest, I think one of the best things that happened to me over there was that I didn't know a lot, which meant that my mouth was shut for most of the time, and I got to do a lot of observing. And one thing I noticed is that so many of, you know, the, 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 the uh, Latino people, they're very, they're very childlike, passionate people. Now, I'm not saying we have to all behave that way, but it was their childlikeness. And I realized that that gets lost in the, in the Western world. And especially when you survive on fight. So my instincts, everything that, everything that gave me a sense of self back home wasn't flying over there. That's very confronting when you're on the other side of the world with a bunch of people. Okay, I don't want you to edit too much, so I'm not going to say anything. Anyway, all right. (laughs) Okay, so, and it seems a bit ridiculous to go over, because the whole point of ministering to creation is to break the curse of futility over it, right? And futility is purposelessness. Purposelessness, yeah. It's kind of farcical to go and do that if you don't even understand that about yourself. Okay? Creation is existing. It's surviving like we are. I saw crazy things in the jungle. The jungle is constantly in survival mode. And you can see that it's, that it's a perversion or, or, or a, um, it's a, what's that word you always use when something is, like when something's, like those animals you don't like with the long fingers. You said they're a what version of creation? Yeah, don't worry about it. Like, like you know, <laughs> like there are the trees wrap around each other to kill each other, to, to race to the light. 
every plant there has two forms of, of um, defense, chemical and mechanical. Like, it's crazy. So I, I saw, I learnt that if, we, if we're called to redeem creation, we have to understand that creation has evolved to survive, but so have we. And it's not just about ticking a box and, you know, I'm a spirit-filled, church-going Christian and I have levels of scroll, therefore I'm going to go redeem creation. It actually is talking about pure of heart. Now, so the, 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 the I'm not going to call it a challenge, you do what you want, but for me, the, one of the most humbling times for me was coming back realizing the state that I have functioned from, that most of my identity had survived in a state of fight. And what do you do with that? It actually requires an intentional and focused deconstruction and yielding of those things that you use to feel the things that you need to feel the, the counterfeit sources of comfort that you create and counterfeit sources of peace that you create. They're all pathways. And it's the complete opposite to the life of ascension. You can ascend, but if we're talking about really manifesting and landing every single thing that the Lord has written of us, and not just landing promises, because even if you, I was having this conversation today, like even if he landed every single one of the things on, on, your, on your list, that doesn't stop you from feeling torment. That doesn't stop you from feeling confusion. That doesn't stop any of that. Because that's a place. They're pathways that you carve out here. It's actually surrendering your, your, I, I talk a lot about the inner world, which is your, your makeup, your, your infrastructure, but now I'm talking about the core of who you are, which is your human nature. Your actual human nature, the return to innocence, means to be completely okay with surrendering and yielding everything that we understand about the need to survive and and what triggers our need to survive? What we judge or preempt. Everything. Our value systems, everything. And when I came back, I had very, 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 and I should probably add another 50 varies, humbling experiences when I got back. And I learned a lot about fight. Fight creates carnage. But you don't know until you know. And sometimes we don't know because we reject the knowledge. That's why Hosea 4, 6 says, you perish because of lack of knowledge. And the very next sentence is because you've rejected knowledge. What we don't deal with, judgment will come on and you don't know how the judgment's going to land. You don't know what carnage it creates. You don't know what, what, who you're going to hurt. Extremely humbling experiences. Things I would, but I would do it all over again to understand what I understand now and to be able to build in the right way with the things that matter the most to me. So returning to innocence isn't about identifying where you've lost it. It's about understanding where you find it. That's in him. Same with inner healing sessions. We don't always have to go back to the scene of the crime. Jesus is the same. Whether I introduce him to a memory then or now, he's the same. It doesn't make either approach wrong or right, one wrong or right. All it means is our innocence can only be found in the revelation of who he is. Innocence is about where you find it and not where you lost it. So if your past speaks too loudly, 
Don't focus on the past. Find your innocence now in him. Not from sin. I'm assuming we're already there. I'm talking about in our understanding and in our pathways, in the way that we function, in, the, in, in, in our very understanding, in our day-to-day. Because like I said, the danger of survival is we create formulas with it. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to land it. I'm going to leave it there. And I'm going to finish on this one thought. When I was having my full come to Jesus moment with the Lord recently, he showed me, um, and Maddie's spoken about this before, but he showed me that the heartbeat, the ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom heartbeat, that's our fallen heartbeat. Now, you could say this is anecdotal. You could say, okay, this is subjective because it came out of encounter, but this is, this is what I truly believe. This is, you know, well, it is anecdotal, but this is my conviction. He said to me that his heartbeat, because I asked him what, what, what if, if this, because he just said it, he goes, your ba-boom, ba-boom heartbeat is a fallen heartbeat. I said, what's yours? And he said, his is a song. And then he led me to that, um, there's a scripture in Genesis 2.21, it talks about when Adam created, Maddie's spoken about this before, when he took the rib and he created the woman, it was, it was like he, the apportioning was like when you separate a musical, like a string from a chord. Oh, did I actually give that to you? Oh, no. Okay. All right. Well, I was, okay. All right. And then, so when we align and we return to that place of original design, our string, our heart string reconnects with his, and we, we reattach to his frequency. Because if you took out a string from the guitar, just one string, and you left it aside for years, over time that's, that string would not identify as a guitar string because it doesn't have context. It's not part of anything. It's not part of anything that's bigger picture than itself. So... Survive, laying down your fight, laying down your flight or whatever it is that you do is not about being defenseless. And I'm preaching to myself here. It's not about being defenseless. It's about exchanging. It's about becoming aware of an innocence that will speak and makes a demand on heaven in itself. They weren't in survival in the garden until they took of the fruit. They didn't need to worry about their well-being. And that comes down to the fear of the Lord. That comes down to submitting everything that we deem valuable or necessary to survive. So have fun exploring that. That's it.